John chapter 14, we're going to be in around verse 12. Where we're going this morning, the main point is when we obey the Father's holy word, it will transform us in the likeness of his Son. I did not put that in your notes this morning, but that's our main point this morning. It says when the, we obey the Father's holy word, it will transform us into the likeness of his Son. I think it's kind of funny and awesome at the same time that we have a God who is about to face the most dire straits that he's ever been, and here he's encouraging his disciples, don't worry, it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this, when we get over the hump, you'll get through this, don't worry, I got this, soon I'm going to send an advocate, he's going to be in my likeness, as I'm in the Father's likeness, it's a good passage of scripture right here that points to the triune God, okay? So we're going to find in chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, this is kind of the conclusion of last week's sermon. And I was like, where am I going to stick this chunk? Is it worth, can I skip over it? And then I could, I could see Craig there with his raised eyebrow saying, well, you could, meaning you probably shouldn't, so I didn't. Uh, so I stuck it in there, but I didn't want to stick it in last week because of the potluck and the baptisms. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get it all in there. But it really set the tone for this week, too, because they're not broken up in pericopes or anything. Um, in the original text, it was a letter written to the church. And so anytime Jesus says, I tell you the truth, in the New, in the new Living Translation, um, it's... Um, in the King James, it would be, Very verily I say unto thee, um, I tell you the truth, was another one, and then um, surely, surely is another one they, they've changed it to over the years. So uh, this is one of those points where you need to pay attention. So you can't skip this. It's, it's impossible. Because if Jesus tells you to pay attention to Scripture, we need to pay attention, right? Don't be cheap. Pay attention. Hey, that's what, it works really well with junior high kids. Not so much with those who've heard it a hundred times, I guess. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, even greater works, because I am going to, to be with the Father, and you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Life after surrender. Last week, we, we talked about giving our lives over to the Lord, and we, we weave that in with um, the sanctification process, which means we're working toward holiness, right? And so as we're working toward holiness, the first step of working toward holiness, at least at White Rose, is baptism. And that is declaring that not only am I saved by His grace, but I am walking the praise process of sanctification, and I'm going to tell the world that I want to become more holy all the time. And that's not an easy process. But we don't turn to ourselves as the hero, do we? We don't turn to us as the one who needs to get the job done. We turn to Jesus Christ because I know that I can't get the job done. And that is not always declared, I don't think, in the church today. We have a hard time 
maybe this is just me speaking out of my own turn, but um, we have a hard time allowing God to be the hero. A lot of times we want to rescue God. We want to make God look cool. We want to make church feel entertaining and his bride to be beautiful. And so we come on with painted faces in a form of a mask that looks all happy and delightful on a Sunday morning. But that's not who we are on the inside, and that's not what Christ called us to do. He called us to live in surrender, and sometimes that means to be revealed in pain, and sometimes that means to be um, humble in your fasting. Uh, that, that was different at that time. They would like to say, oh, look at me. I haven't ate in such a long time. Right? And they draw attention to themselves. That is, for this pastor, that's my human nature. I, I'm very good at drawing attention to myself. And I'm becoming more comfortable in my own skin, so I don't have to do things like that. But I think we can all do that in our own way. And we have to be careful because God calls us to surrender. And that means surrender our pride and our pain, our glory, all the same. Because why do we exist as Christians? We exist to bring God the glory, right? We exist to bring God the glory. And when we have that in perspective, that puts us in our place where we need to be. We need to be a conduit and pouring up. So ask in his name. Now, the problem with asking for things in his name as I asked the question, well, how, how can Jesus make such a bold statement knowing we have so many sinful requests? How can he say that? Like, you know I'm going to be selfish in my requests, Lord. Well, this is life, yeah, I remember it's life after surrender. So if we are truly surrendered, the requests come in a way that is giving him the honor, giving him the glory, meaning that we are not living for ourselves any longer. We are pursuing Jesus and his good character. And part of that is emulating Jesus as he gave God, his father, the praise instead of holding on to himself, right? Jesus set the example for us, and so we need to follow that as well. To say we are asking in his name, we are not pursuing our own sinful interests, we are pursuing God's interests. And so if you get to one of those requests that seems to be maybe a simple request that is not getting answered, one of the things that I do is I check my request. Is this a selfish request? Is there a way to say this better that gives God the honor, the glory, and um, the outcome would be his? In a sense, is it in his will? Because that's how we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray in the Father's will. So we're asking according to his character. We are stewards in this life. And we want to glorify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we see in this passage of Scripture. So as we become good stewards, what do stewards do? A steward is pursuing his master, master's interests, 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 that's it's like all the, all the interest, and not his own, right? He's pursuing his master's interest, 
and not his own. In a sense, he has one master. Not two, just one. And doesn't Jesus say something about that? It's like in the Sermon on the Mount, right? right? Matthew chapter 6. Oh, I don't know. I'll just throw it out there. Maybe verse 24. It's in your bulletin, so I cheated. It says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. You can't serve God and be enslaved to yourself. You can't serve God and be enslaved to your country. You can't be serve God and be enslaved to an agenda. It doesn't work that way. It is God and only God, and everything goes through his word. We look at his word, and we find how we're supposed to then serve him. So a good question on this is, asking ourselves what's in our hearts or what's distracting us from our relationship with Jesus. And it can be different every week. It, it can be clever. It can be have a gaze of holiness so it appears as if it's the right thing, but then it becomes about us and not God, and then it, that makes it the wrong thing. Hmm. So it can start off as a good thing. We can be a good steward of our finances, right? We can be a good steward of our finances, and then pretty soon we're, we're pursuing a little bit more and a little bit more. Well, what has got our heart? It's greed, right? How much is enough? Just a little bit more. That's what J.D. Rockefeller, I think, said. Maybe it's our comfort, it says a little sleep, a little slumber, or a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will overtake us all. That's what the Proverbs say about, about, the, about comfort. When can we do it? Oh, I can do it tomorrow. There's a great uh, Dr. David Jeremiah illustration on doing it tomorrow, right? When are we going to tell our friends about Jesus? Oh, I can do it tomorrow, and I can do it tomorrow. Well, what do we know about tomorrow? It's only a day away, and it's always a day away. Or in our good standing in our community. Maybe it's in our good standing in, the, in some club, in the Rotary Club or something like that. Maybe it's uh, um, because, as Craig always said, uh, giving to Jerry's kids today, I think it's giving to St. Jude. We give to St. Jude's. Is giving to St. Jude wrong? No, is that a good thing? It's, it's actually a pretty decent organization to give money to. But is that our identity? Our identity is to be a Christ follower. And how do we know that we're a Christ follower? We give God the glory. We give him the glory. And there's a way to give to St. Jude that gives God the glory in humility, and in um, responsibility as well. So I would encourage you, we can ask, you can ask me after the service, okay, bud? I would encourage you to rebuke it in your heart. 
rebuke these things in your heart. And that is, sometimes it's hard to see, but as I found out, when we have a mentor or if we have somebody that's discipling us or if we have somebody we're discipling or if we have a husband or wife, all you got to do is ask, where do I need to be rebuked? Well, your attitude's been pretty sour this week. Wow, let's not hold back. Right? I'm, I'm good at that. Hey, don't nudge too hard. I saw you out there. <laughs> but that's when we get things or we get busy, right? And we don't take time for relationships. Those things all can be dangerous. Sometimes, and I would say, I would say 90% of the time is our pace is getting a little too fast. And we need to slow down. For me, my pace maybe not be fast out in life, but up here it's, it's really going fast, and I need to slow down, and I need to make sure that Christ is at the top. So have I given him some time today in prayer? Have I read his word? I have an app on my phone where I have a Bible reading plan. Am I current on that plan? Or do I, have I missed a couple of days? And if I get about four days missed on that, it's not good. It's not good. It, it always comes out in um, blatant sin, usually for me. It's like, oh, that was easy to see. Even I could see that one. I didn't even need a spouse to tell me that I'm an idiot, right? So we need to confess it to the Lord, don't we? We confess it to the Lord, and he is faithful and just and forgives us of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. So where does our pride swell? What are we grateful for? What do we, I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of this. I, can, I do a pretty good job in this area, okay? Maybe it's in our job. We, we say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, and I think if I were to leave, they would miss me. They would have a hard time filling my shoes. Maybe it's my family. Man, we had a really good time this week, and I, I think if we continue to plan the activities, we can do this. Maybe it's the phone calls. Maybe it's reaching out or just getting together. But families can become an idol really quick too. Maybe it's a position or a title. Well, I'm the senior pastor at White Rose Fellowship Church, right? Yeah. I don't say that one very loud because uh, Satan usually gets his extra darts out there, right? So maybe it's... Um, there was a few years ago. It was so funny. Uh, I know the hospitals did this some, but I know Caterpillar it was during the recession a little bit. They gave them all new titles instead of giving pay raises because they couldn't afford the pay raise, so they gave them all new titles. And I was like, "That's pretty clever," you know. Now we look at us. I'm the I'm the assistant to the chairman of the you know. And it's like that doesn't mean anything. Uh, if you've ever watched The Office, you know that the assistant to the regional manager is just his secretary, basically. Um, that's funny. So maybe it's looks. Do we put too much pride in how we look? And that can be an outside, how we're put together. And that can also be um, how people perceive us. Well, if... if we got to look, look a certain way. I was reading a, a book of fiction, and his dad was an architect, and he said, 
he would always be concerned about, well, who? Who, who wants you to do that? Well, it's the baker, the Greek baker downtown. Well, if he ever wants a new bakery, he's going to have to have plans. Well, don't disappoint him. Go ahead and do that. because. And then it was his teacher. His teacher was, uh, um, last name was the most powerful person in the town. And so she was married into the family and things. And um, the bakers, you can't, you can't uh, upset the bakers. Yep, you get, whatever makes her happy, you're going to have to do. So he ends up uh, learning Shakespeare because that's what his his teacher was, but then he found out how it applied to life and things too. Um, but we can, it's funny how we think we have to act a certain way where God calls us to humility. God calls us to give him the glory. And finally, the last one is possessions. A lot of times we think we've arrived because we got the boat and um, we have the cabin on the lake and we have this and that. Maybe it's the new car. Maybe it's a brand new house. Maybe it's new carpet. And all those things are fun and exciting, but are, how are they going to give God glory? Can you use that new house with white carpet for a small group? Then white probably wasn't the best idea, was it? Sometimes maybe you're like, oh, no, white's easiest to clean. I don't know. It is with the car, but I don't think carpet, right? Can you use that boat for God's ministry? Absolutely. I mean, your pastor likes to go skiing, by the way. Just so, no, just kidding. <laughs> there goes my pride, right? Um, and <laughs> living through somebody else's possessions. Oh, boy. Right. We need to stop pursuing man's goals. Stop pursuing man's goals and pursuing the master. I've been working with uh, Cole Espensheed. He's with uh, Kingdom Sports Ministries on Tuesdays. I meet with him at noon uh, for eight weeks. We've gone into it uh, three, and we're working on our fourth week. So as we go through these things, we talk about the W in sports. The win is everything. It's, it's what everything that that is but doing sports God's way it's not the W at all God wants to see character built God wants to see us discipling those kids so that they can see what it means one to have an example of somebody that loves them and two that we can point that love to Jesus eventually and three that they can see that they've built skills and they've built character that can take them throughout their life. Because, yeah, it'd be, it'd be so much fun, so much fun to win state at Norwood volleyball or whatever we do or softball or whatever uh, different sports I've, I've coached. But you know what's more fun? Is when you come back and you see that kid implementing character traits of Christ that they've learned from us. And you can say, praise God that you taught me how to be, act like that. Praise God that you are working in that person's life because I can see it. And there's fruit there, isn't there? Dare I say, the fruit of the Spirit? Huh, interesting. 
So stop pursuing man's goals and start leading them to the master. We can use these things to bring God the honor and the glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read verse 11, and then we're going to jump down to 18 and 19. It's a good passage of Scripture, um, and it flushes the whole thing out if you read the whole thing. But I thought this got the point across really well. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Let me read that again. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Is it our comfortable responsibility? No, it's our fearful responsibility. Why would we have a fearful responsibility to the Lord? What do we read in Proverbs chapter 1? And it's several times in Proverbs, and it's throughout the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who is more powerful than Pastor Shane? Who is more powerful than the United States government? Who is more powerful than the world? God is, right? He is more powerful. And he holds us all in the palm of his hand. And so if we ever close that palm, we'd be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? That is the fear. Fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. How do we lead people to the master? We point out that the master set the example of reconciliation to get us back to heaven. Right? God is asking us to be his hands and feet. We must go, live to feed the hungry, but we also must go and lift up our brokenhearted brothers and sisters to pray for them, to pray for the lost, whether that's physically lost or spiritually lost. God is asking us to be His hands and feet. Jesus set that example of reconciliation, didn't He? That humble reconciliation. Jesus could have taken over the world. He could have been the most powerful. He would have never had to die. But then we would have died and we would have not recovered, right? And so he chose to humble himself and died a sinner's death, death of a slave on the cross, that we might be able to have life through him. And because he did that, God exalted him, didn't he? That's Philippians chapter 2. And that's what it means to be surrendered. Second, a steward is accountable to the master. If you want to put a dash there and put repent. Accountability to the master means we confess our sins to the Lord. We're repentant. It goes on in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, so we are God's or Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, 
Come back to God. We are in His ambassadors. Life after surrender, though filled with trials and tribulations as it can be, is not focused on the problem. It's pointing to the solution. Christ Jesus is our solution. We are ambassadors. We represent Jesus Christ. We go into nations where other people cannot go, in a sense, right? We go into relationships because I think each heart is a kingdom of itself, isn't it? In a sense. And so we are ambassadors reaching out to those hearts and saying, remember what God has done for us. Remember that there is a God and that He is strong. And though I don't point to Him like I should, as I should all the time, I do my best to surrender to Him because He redeems me and brings me back and He'll do the same for you. Who became the hero of that story? Jesus did, right? It's a simple, just making sure that he's got his place and I can point to him, but that's how it goes. Life after surrender, it can have trials and tribulations, but once we have Christ in there, he is the one that will sustain us through those as well. Point to the solution, point to Jesus Christ. It says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Wow. Wow. A steward is a manager of what has been given to him. We have given up our we have to give up our lowly things as well. So if we're willing to give up our boat, our house, our family, our job, our position, our glory things, we have to repent and confess and give up our lowly things as well. Right? We have to confess our sins. We have to repent, repent of our repetitive sins. We have to love on Others who are in the same boat because we are no better than they are. It's funny. There's a Christian false teaching that we can't love others unless we love ourselves. And that just simply isn't true because God doesn't require us to love ourselves, to love others. God is love. A lot of the problem with thinking you need to love yourself is you're focused on yourself. And if we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put it on the light as he is in the light, then we can love others. When we love others, then we can love ourselves. Right? That is... That is not, uh, I, can, I can already see the tension in the room right here because I've, I've stated something. But um, if you look at it, God does not require us for love. He is love. 
And so it has to go through him first. So if we are not loving God correctly, of course we're not going to be able to love ourselves. It's bigger than that, but that's the simple form of it. When we obey the Father's holy word, it will transform us in the likeness of Christ. John 14, 15 through 21 says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it, it isn't looking for him, and he doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now and later. He, excuse me, and now and later will be in you. No longer will I abandon you as orphans. I have come to you. Soon the world will not longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, since I live, you will also live. And when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Wow, can you get any more cryptic Jesus? <laughs> it's like when I read this passage, it reminds me of Romans chapter 7. I do the things that I want to do, but I don't do because it's going back on each other so much. What Jesus is saying there is, I'm going to die in about, at this point, it's about 12 to 24 hours, right? But when I raised again, you'll understand that you'll have life through me and that the Messiah is still alive and that as I have a relationship with the Father, you have a relationship with me so that you have a relationship with the Father. Who supplies that link? The Holy Spirit, the Advocate. Obedience. How do we know? If we're in love, how do we know that God, how does God know that we love him? Obedience. We listen and obey. That's why I tell my kids, listen and then obey. Follow through. That's how I know that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you love me, this is a conditional statement that comes with a promise. If you do this, then this will happen. Does God give conditional statements in the Bible? A lot of them. A lot of them. Most of them focus around obedience. If you obey, then it will go well with you. If you don't, it will not. It will go very, very bad. And usually he spends more time on the bad than he does the good, right? Your, your family's going to do this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You need to be careful. Don't do that. Obey. So if you obey my commandments, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit, or here the Holy Spirit is called the advocate, equal to Jesus and to the Father. If you read that passage again, you'll see that he is bringing them into equality with um, one another. What do we have with an advocate? Someone to speak to God and to Father, God the Father on our behalf. Someone who has our best interests in mind. Not only does Jesus speak on behalf 
on our behalf to the Father, but we also have the Holy Spirit speaking on our behalf through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is also speaking on our behalf to us. It's called, a lot of people will say it's your conscience, but when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in there. He is guiding you into right living. He is telling you that would be a good idea. That might not be such a good idea. You messed up there. You're doing okay right there, right? Someone to speak on to God the Father on our behalf, someone who has our best interests in mind, he will present us not as orphans, not abandoned, but heirs and co-heirs of Christ. Praise God, we have a God that cares enough for us that in many, many, many ways, he allows us to be as equal as heirs to heaven. How many other gods in the world do that? None. He's the only one that allows us to have the same standing in, in many, many ways as he does. Not, not every way, because we are not perfect. We are not the perfect sacrifice. He is the he gets the throne, but in many, many ways, we get to get into the throne room because of him, right? There's not, I don't know of any other religion that, that says that. That's amazing. That just blows my mind away. We're heirs and co-heirs. So how do we obey? What's the application, Pastor? You tell us we need to obey. How do we do it? Here are four ways. If you ever are with Bill Allison, he will call these Kavanaugh. So the first one is we study the Bible to be transformed into God's image. We study the Bible to be transformed into God's image. Notice it doesn't say we read our Bible. We study the Bible to be transformed. Where do we get that? Well, one of the places we can find that is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's word transforms our lives. When you get into his word, you ask God to reveal its meaning to you. He will be faithful. He will open it up to you, and he will show you where you transform, should transform. Now, sometimes you're like, well, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Well, one thing you've got to be careful of is when you try and try and try and you're not moving forward, maybe you're not moving away from something that you need to be moving away from, in a sense, sin in your life. Sometimes that hinders us. There's a lot of things that hinders us, but that's, that's one of the things that um, is a big deal. God's calling you to surrender something, and you're ignoring that calling. God says you need to move away from this, and you're saying no. Well, then don't expect to move much far, farther forward. Is it possible? Yeah. But you're going at a tenth of the, the speed that you would be if you just surrendered that. Well, how do you know that? Well, I know because I've done it many times, right? We all do it. We all do it. 
Second one is we live in conversation with the Lord. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does that mean that when we get up in the morning, we should just pray until we go to bed at night? Well, that'd be wonderful if we could. And we might be a little bit closer to be like Jesus if we did. But what it means, and what I take that to mean is when you are dealing with that problem at work, when you're dealing with that problem in the garden, when you're dealing with that problem with, of a person, or if you have a delight in your life, if you have something that's exciting, if you have new life in your life, you allow God in the thought process. You, Wow, Lord, that was wonderful. Thank you for, for giving new life to that person. Wow, Lord, this is really hard. I can't get through this without you. What do you think about that, Lord? He is your conversation partner in your head. He's talking to you when you do bad things with, the, with your conscience. You might as well talk to him in the good things too, right? Allow him to be a part of that process. You'll, I think you'll be surprised at how clear things are made when God becomes part of the thinking process. This third thing is to love God and love others. As you can see up here, we have love God and love others and making disciples. This is part of the disciple-making process. If you don't love God, you can't love others. And if you don't love others, you can't love God. It's, they are, it's a paradox that must go together. It must be in harmony or it doesn't work. You see this in Mark chapter 12, 30 through 31. It says, if you love, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love conquers everything. But it's the... the pedal, it's at the peak of the building blocks, right? It takes a lot of things to develop love. And sometimes it can be so simple that love just develops itself. But God's got to be in that. The last one is to live a life of worship. This is my Bill Allison gang signs for you here, okay? So, C, three, two, three, okay? So, C, three to three, right? So if you look like I'm flicking off a cigarette or something, that's not what I'm doing. I'm C, three to three, right? Okay, it's Colossians 3, 23. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. When is the best time to implement Colossians 3.23? I will tell you the best time. If you ever have to clean out a trap on a grain bin, so if you, you ever see those big grain legs that go up and then you have the chutes that come down, if they're really long, they have a box in them. And they have that box in there to slow the grain down because if they don't slow the grain down, it will go right through the bin floor, which would be kind of fun and cool to see but not if you're the farmer. So they discovered that if you slow it down halfway through, it will uh, flow and everything goes through. You know what happens to those boxes? They collect corn and soybeans in there, and they rot. 
You know what the worst smell in the world is? Rotten corn and rotten soybeans. You have to have them in combination because you know why? Soybeans have a low odor. They have a dull odor that's underneath. And corn has a sharp odor that's over top. And you can sometimes smell that from um, ADM factory down yonder at night, sometimes around here, especially in September, October, early October, you'll definitely smell it. And um, when they start distilling everything down there, that's, that's corn. But then you stick a low odor underneath of that, it kind of smells like dead fish. Ooh, man, it stinks. Can I clean this thing out? I don't even know if I can hold my lunch in, let alone clean this thing out. But I'm working willingly, not for myself, not for the farmer I'm cleaning out for, but for the Lord, especially when I'm allergic to soybeans. It's, it's rough, but I can do it because I'm not doing it for myself. So when I have somebody that's a little bit more difficult in life to handle, a.k.a. they're my rotten soybeans, right? My rotten corn. I'm not going to do my job for them at the, the attitude that they're going to give me. I'm going to do my job for them as I would be working for my Heavenly Father because He is an amazing God that, that cares for me. Worship is not reserved for Sunday mornings. It can be given an act of worship and praise throughout the day. When we obey the... The Father's holy word, it will transform us into the likeness of his Son. Let's finish up. Oh, no, it's not quite finished up. We've got two more points here. Whoa, I better speed up. John 14, 22 through 26 says, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple uh, with that name said, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and I will come and make my home with each of them. And anyone who does not love me will, will not obey me. And, I, and remember, my words are not my own. What I'm, willing, what I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends his advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Okay. The point for that it, I put down this week is don't drift. I gave you five scriptures, I think. One, two, three, four, five. Those are going to be your homework. Okay. We're going to talk about this next week. I'm going to go into and skip to our next point because we're going to talk about Christ making a home in our hearts. And if you've ever seen that little booklet, it's one of Diane Gruber's favorite booklets, and it's one of mine as well from InterVarsity Press. It's called My Heart, Christ Home, and we're going to break that down next week, and um, it goes right over that passage of Scripture. So I will cover that next week. Let's skip on to 27 through 31. It says, I am leaving you with a gift Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you will be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before 
they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk with you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father and come, or come, let's be going. Wow. Some amazingly bad things are going to happen, but I'm going to leave you here and then I'm going to restore you. Talk about the definition of peace right there, right? Peace. The Holy Spirit gives us the promise of peace. Peace that passes all understanding. So don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. The fear of the unknown, the valley of the shadow of death. It's dry out over in Israel. If you think about this, when it rains up on the mountains, the water comes rushing down through these, these valleys. And it's called the valley of the shadow of death because once you enter into that valley, the cliffs come up so high on either side, if that rain comes down in a torrent, there's no way for you to get out of there and you will drown down in this dry, parched land because you thought it was safe to go into to go find water farther in where the, the rain is, has gone. So if you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil, for their rod and their staff are there to comfort me, right? That's, that is a great definition of peace. So peace is being able to walk in courage despite the circumstances around you. If there's rushing water coming down from the mountain, how can I tell? I can't because I can't see over the next, the next around the next bend to tell if it's if it's coming or not. I need a shepherd to show me that it's safe to go in there, and he goes up on top and he lets me know that I can lead in the sheep, and so we'll be safe. So if we're walking, how do I get through or out of the valley in time? I need to depend on God's rod and their staff. Do I need correction sometimes? Absolutely. That's what the rod is there for, to keep me in line. Do I need to be rescued sometimes? Yes, that's what the staff is there for. The rod's there for protection from lions, bears, as David used it, also with the sling. The staff is if a sheep gets into a place where he's not supposed to go, which reminds me of that meme. Have you guys ever seen that one uh, lately? Uh, it's a little short uh, gif, actually. It's the, the sheep's got his head stuck in a trench, and he's they trying to get it out for all he's worth. The farmer comes along, and he's digging, 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 digging. He grabs that sheep, and he pulls him out, and he throws him to the side, and the sheep goes, bring, 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 boom. Ten, ten feet down the, the same trench, does the exact same thing. It's stuck in the same rut. Because he didn't trust the shepherd, right? He didn't follow the shepherd. And so when we get into a rut like that, sometimes the shepherd's got to break our legs so we stay close to the shepherd. That's what, especially back then, when they were free-range sheep, you break the lamb's 
um, legs, so he's dependent on you as the shepherd, and he has to heal, he has to, to get to know you and trust you and, and things. Are we getting to know the shepherd? Are we teaching others how to get to know the shepherd? He sets the example of how to walk in the security of God's love to be of sound mind and emotionally calm in danger. That is what peace is all about. There's only, this only comes from perfect love. This is the love that, Christ, that Jesus displayed when he laid his life down for us. He set the example of how to walk in the security of God's love, to overcome the fear of sin and death, courage in this sacrificial action, to be courageous, when we're giving sacrificially. Because the Spirit of the Lord is walking with us. That is what He promises us with the Holy Spirit. When we obey the, the Father's holy word, it will transform us into the likeness of His Son. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for our time together. We thank You for the example You set. Lord, we thank You that when the trials and tribulations come in this world, that You are our comfort. You are a peace that passes understanding. Lord, I pray that you would guide our hearts back to you and that we would um, lift each other up. Lord, we pray for um, the boy that's lost. We pray that you would um, find him, that you would bring peace to his family. Lord, we pray that you would uh, pray for this neighborhood, that they are lost, and we pray that you would bring peace to their household through the loving relationship. Allow us to be a beacon of light in the dark places. Um, Lord, that is one thing that we don't have to look very far for. We can find that this world is broken. They are in need of a Savior. Lord, allow us to be the conduit. Allow us to be that voice uh, of reason in this dark world. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.